You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to uh, see you. And just to reiterate what Josh said, um, if you're new here today, uh, please uh, mention it to someone at the welcome desk, and we'd love to have you uh, round our house afterwards. Um, just to have some food and to share with you a little bit about the life of the church, who we are, our vision, some of our, our plans, and how you can get uh, plugged in. So really excited. Next week, uh, we have our morning and evening service. In the morning, we're going to be tracking through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so really excited about that. And in the evening, we're going to be going through Philippians. Uh, and that will take us right up to Christmas. So this gives us just this week... And it's a bit of a standalone talk. And uh, I don't mind you, but I always see September, kind of like January, as uh, an opportunity for uh, a fresh start. Turning over the page, uh, it feels like something brand new. Kids are going back to school. We've had our holidays. And so really I want to take this week just to kind of share what I feel and sense um, the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart for you guys as as a church. Um, You know, Joni and I, have said many, many times, countless times, and we're going to continue to say this, is that this church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to those who went before us or those who will come ahead of us. It doesn't belong to the leadership team. It belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. And uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement uh, about 40 years ago, um, he had this recurring theme. He, he'd, he'd been traveling around the, the US as a consultant in terms of church growth, in the area of church growth. And after years of going around various churches and connecting with many denominations, he found that, that the church was actually rarely in the hands of God. He found it to be the hands of Uh, elders and leaders and bishops and uh, boards and trustees. It was in the hands of everybody and anybody except for the one person who should be in the hands of, and that's Jesus Christ. And um, that's why he pioneered and planted the first vineyard. He said, I'm going to go and plant and start a church in which the Holy Spirit is the leader of the church where he gets to do what he wants to do with the church. And he did a series of messages and he came over to the UK and uh, he invested particularly in the Church of England where they began to see the charismatic renewal, the, the presence and the power of God move amongst the institutional church. And that's where we see things like the Alpha Course and New Wine and Soul Survivor and, and many of these things came out of that. And he, he used to title these messages, I I want my church back. I want my church back. When does God get what he wants out of the church? And uh, I want to tell you that that's a driving question for Joni and I constantly, day by day, week by week. it's It's the very thing that drives us internally is, God, when do you get what you want out of the vineyard? This is your church. What, what do you want for this church? And our job, of course, is to, is to lead, and there's great responsibility in that, and we're going to have uh, stewardship of that, and we're accountable uh, before God and others for that. But I'm 
constantly asking the question, Lord, does this please your heart? I think it's a really important question. When Joni and I first took on the church, um, I remember, I think it was Josh mentioned to me, the uh, Catholic church in the city center of St. Charles, um, they'd had a fire uh, in their church hall, I think it was, and, and they ran a fantastic uh, soup kitchen for the homeless. And they said, could we use uh, our building uh, for a season until all the, uh, all the things are sorted? And uh, I've got to tell you, it was a really inconvenient ask. Okay, in terms of our plans, in terms of our, the day it was going to be, uh, the extra resource, all these things. But I remember going for a kind of an evening prayer walk and I just said to the Lord, I said, you know, should we do this? And I felt like he said, yeah, because it will, it will please me. Are you willing to be inconvenienced to do the very thing that pleases my heart? And I know there are a few things in life that pleases the Lord's heart. One of them is church unity, which is why I put it high on my uh, schedule in terms of time and effort and to connect with other churches around this city and across denominational um, churches. I've always loved the church. Um, I was, well, Christ found me in a cathedral in Wakefield when I was eight years old. I was brought up in the in the Church of England. I spent a few years in the conservative evangelical church, which is like a hymn sandwich, but I got a real love for the word and, and theology. And then I spent a few years in the Pentecostal church. And so uh, at a broad, uh, I suppose, upbringing when it comes to uh, the church and the spectrum of things. And it was only when I discovered the vineyard that I felt like I'd come home because it seemed to kind of take the best of a number of these churches and kind of roll them into one. Uh, by no means were perfect, that's for sure. But I kind of like some of the, the values because a lot of things I've seen in these different denominations that have been exposed to them growing up is that I, I loved what I saw in the vineyard. And um, let me just put this in parenthesis. God isn't looking for consumers in the church. Okay, The, the problem with consumerism in the church is, is the moment our wants and our needs aren't met, is the moment we leave. And so there's gonna be something goes beyond consumer church and that's commitment. Commitment is like, hey, when this becomes inconvenient to me or I don't like what's being said or I don't like what's being done or it's not quite scratching the itch is when commitment kicks in. And I believe God's blessing is attached to people who stay committed and stay faithful over the long haul. But maybe you're here today and maybe been coming for a few months and as you've been looking for a church, you've been looking for certain things. It's almost like you've had a mental checklist of what I would like to see in the church. Uh, maybe you've wanted a church that's welcoming. If only every church was just welcoming, just, let's just start there. Uh, a church that welcomes uh, the presence of God and practices the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe a church which uh, has some youth ministry for, uh, for your teenagers. Maybe it's a church that is a safe environment to, uh, to look after your kids. Or maybe you're single and you're looking for a partner. I, I always think that is a good reason. Jodie and I met at a conference and she turned to me and she said, I, I would part the Red Sea for you. And I thought, yeah, I'm in. And... <laughs> And I said, John Mark Homer takes up 50% of my iPhone memory. 
And that was, then we got married. <laughs> anyway, um, I thought it was a good one. <laughs> or maybe just some friendship, that people who share your values. Maybe it's because you've seen in our church we have a real heart for social justice and our compassion ministries and justice ministries. Maybe it's because we're a church that puts first and foremost worshipping God but also rescuing people, introducing people to Christ on a regular basis. I believe these are all legitimate reasons for us to look at when we're thinking about joining, connecting, committing to a local church. But there's a spin on church seeking that we, I think we rarely consider that ought to form the very basis and foundation the heart of our mental checklist. And it's this, Jesus Christ, what do you want for your church? What is Jesus seeking for his church? If Jesus was here speaking now, what would he want to say to his church today? What if Jesus came and took this service And there's a bunch of churches in the book of Revelation where I think we get a strong indication, a strong idea about Jesus' heart for what he's looking for in the church. These are seven churches, uh, and, and these are not allegorical. They're actual churches in the first century, but they also act, and the intention of it, act as messages to the church today, the global church and uh, there's, there's so many things through there, but the, the one church I felt like God just wanted us to kind of zone in on and focus on is the church in Pergamum. So I'm just going to read uh, from Revelation 2, verse 12. The, the words will come up on the screen. Just these few verses uh, of, of what Jesus is saying to one of these churches. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality." Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I'll soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is a church situated in a city where its nickname is Satan's City. So let's just put it out there. This isn't a good city to live in. Okay, This is a difficult city. This is where immorality and idolatry is absolutely rife. Paganism is huge in this city. And being a follower of Christ carried um, huge consequence. And you were persecuted for your faith. Once a year, they would go and everybody in that city would go and bow down to the emperor. And those who didn't would be killed. And of course, Christians, therefore, would be faced with that, that situation, that circumstance, that choice. I follow Christ now. And when they didn't go and bow down to the emperor, then they were killed. And that's what we see here with this person called Antipas 
He refused to worship the emperor, therefore he was martyred for his faith. So this is an idolatrous, pagan, immoral place. Uh, But Jesus looks at the Christians there and he commends them for their courage. He commends them for their courage. You live in a difficult time, difficult city, known as Satan's city, Satan's place. I want to commend you in the midst of that for your courage. So when frontal assault was coming upon the Christians there, upon this church, through the front door of the church, they were standing up to this assault. And it's not said in a kind of like in a weird, creepy way, I know where you live, but it's actually said in a, a comforting way. Jesus is want to say to the Christians in this church, hey, I know where you live. In other words, I understand the times that you are in. I understand how difficult it is to be a follower of Christ in that city, in the culture that you live in. And I, I just sense that Jesus wants to say that to, to you this morning, is that I know where you live. Uh, I, I know times are difficult. I know we live in a post-Christian world. I know we have um, just war and rumors of war going on. We have pestilence and diseases. We have the cost of living crisis. There are so many things going on which makes it for just any human being actually to, um, to struggle in the times that we live in, but particularly for a follower of Jesus. We're, and we looked at this through um, uh, as we went through the book of Daniel uh, this year, and you can get those talks on, on our podcast. And that's all about what does it mean to be a people living in exile? What does it mean to be a people living in uh, the difficulty of our times and be a, a bright, shining light for Jesus? But Jesus assuringly says to this church and to us today, look, I know where you live. I know you may feel like the church is at a low point. But Jesus has appointed you and I to live at this particular moment in history. He could have chosen any point of history for us to be alive, but he has chosen this time, this era, this chapter of human history for us to be alive in. And he's called us, yes, to lament for what is going on around us. But God isn't surprised by the circumstances. and He has chosen us to be in this city for such a time as this, to fulfill the purposes of God for our generation. We are born for such a time as this. And he affirms them and says, you have courage. I want to affirm you, particularly over the last few years where many people have fallen away from the church, many people have um, their foundations and roots in Christ have been exposed, sadly. I want to affirm affirm you and commend you and hear the heart of God to say well done the fact that you're here and showing up is awesome that's encouragement to every single one of us who are going through difficulty and challenging circumstances the fact that we show up that we're committing beyond what we feel and what we think that we need courage isn't the absence of fear it's not a feeling Courage is doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's as simple as that. And so hear the heart of God that says, 
you have courage. Well done. But then Jesus, after his commendation, has a condemnation. They have resisted the enemy through the front door, but sadly, these Christians, some of them, have left the back door open to compromise. They've left the back door ajar. So just put it into today's world, some people would be like this attending church on a Sunday, but then when it comes to Monday, Tuesday, they'd be falling into doctrinal error and they'd be falling into all sorts of immorality and they would be compromised. And historically, and even in today's world, our enemies feel and look like they're a frontal assault. They look so obvious about the very things that divide between what the world thinks and values and what Christians and the church think and value. But actually, there's something more subtle going on that we need to guard against, and that's about leaving the back door open. And I I really sense when I was praying what the Holy Spirit wanted to say to us as a church is that maybe it's now, maybe it's over this last year, maybe it's going forward and you'll discover this. And it's kind of a, a warning to say, beware of those soul areas that maybe you can't even see right now where you've left that back door open in compromise for the enemy to get in. We need to be wise in this season. It's really important that we hear this from a place of Jesus because if we look at chapter one, there's this beautiful vision of the risen Jesus of what he's like. It's stunning. It's really important that we hear any rebuke from Jesus to the church from a place of nearness and intimacy, not from absence and distance. And many people don't hear warnings or rebukes or discipline from God because they don't hear it from a place of nearness and intimacy. Do you know, whenever we... I I, I was brought up... uh, by brilliant parents. And so when I was disciplined, I never saw love and discipline as separate. I never once questioned whether I was loved by my parents, even when I was being disciplined. And that's a real challenge, isn't it, for us who are parents. We've got to be able to do that. Every time we train a child up in the way they should go, every time we discipline and put boundaries in place, is that they must never, ever, ever think, do you love me? They must always sense the affirmation and the love of the mom and the dad, even in the midst of discipline. And that's what it comes to Jesus. When Jesus is trying to discipline us and discipline the church, when we see it as something separate, that's when many people walk away from God. Because they say, how could God ever, ever allow this to happen to me? Because they truly don't understand the heart of the Father. But when you understand the intimacy and the love and the affection of the Father, and that's never in doubt, and you live and you walk by the Spirit, and you live with this revelation of the Father's heart that's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, then any kind of difficulty, any kind of trial, any kind of discipline, you never see as, hey, this is God punishing me, this is God not happy with me, hey, I'm better off doing my own thing. This is God shaping me into the likeness of his son, conforming me into the image of his son. And it's a beautiful thing. 
the challenge that Jesus gives through this letter to the church, through a place of intimacy and nearness, the risen Jesus holding their hand through the storms of life, is that do not give in to compromise in your day and age. The problem here, I've got time to kind of do a, a kind of a deep dive here, but the problem was false teaching. False teaching is kind of like a, it's like gangrene on, on a limb. When it's allowed through the back door of the church, that is when problems arise. And this false teaching, Pergamon was the teaching of Balaam. And it talks about this in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament where these beautiful uh, young women from the Moabites were sent into Israel to seduce the young men. And when that happened, they committed sexual immorality and then they went into idolatry. They started to worship these Moabite gods. And, and, and therefore, it's kind of like a prototype. It's a byword throughout the rest of the Bible that whenever you see false teaching, whenever you see false doctrine, is you'll end up seeing immorality. And here's the deal with immorality. We think that's the main thing. It's not. It's about getting the church to move away from worshiping Jesus into a place of worshiping false gods. We worship ourselves. We worship created beings. That's what Romans 1 talks about. He gave themselves over to the lusts of their flesh because, and that ends up being in worshiping rather than the creator, we worship created beings. We get it all the wrong way around, but we've got to be careful through the backdoor teaching. So these Nicolaitans, they were the modern equivalent of Balaam. And so that tells me that as a church, as we kind of go into this new term, new year, one of the areas of compromise for the church that we can allow in is that when we don't pay, pay close attention to our creeds and our deeds, where we don't pay close attention to our doctrine about our love of the Bible, about good, sound, robust theology, we allow the culture and the things of this world into the church, and when that happens, we lose our distinctiveness. We stop being different. What's the difference between the church and the world if it's all going for the same stuff? The power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit that will make a difference and see people come to faith will be all down to our foundation being one of no compromise. We as a church will not compromise. And I believe this is our great enemy in our culture right now. And you may be thinking, well, John, what are you talking about compromise? Because I get that. I get that I'm compromising if I do this or that. Or, you know, look at stuff on the internet or whatever it is that our struggle and temptation is. But when I was praying, I felt like God say, for a number of us, it's actually swapping what is best for what is good. That in itself is a compromise. There are many things that we feel are good in our lives. Maybe they're friendships, maybe they're relationships, maybe they're, they're, they're patterns of behavior, whatever we just think they're good. But actually, God is wanting to take his church to another level where it's the best plan, best purpose for you. Not what's good, but actually what is best. So where are we compromising, settling for mediocrity or what is good 
when Jesus' heart and plan for you is for the best. I think it could be really best illustrated in uh, this, this um, moment in John chapter 6. And it's, I haven't got time to go into the passage, but in verse 53, John 6, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, just think about Jesus saying this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's like crazy cannibalistic statement, isn't it? Now we get it because we understand Christ and the cross and communion and everything. But you're hearing that and Jesus is saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And he doesn't negotiate, he said, point one, drink of my flesh, drink of my blood. Point two of the sermon, drink of my flesh, drink of my blood. He just keeps repeating it. And then he turns to his 12 disciples and says this, after he said this, he says, who's going to leave too? It's like the worst newcomer's homecoming lunch speech ever. I've got everyone around in my house today and I go, Jesus says, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, are you going too? And you're like, yeah, I am going. After I've had my burger, I'm off and you won't see me again. But I love what Peter says later on after Jesus is just like, I love it. He just tosses out this grenade, lets it blow up. He just smiles at you. He says, what are you going to do with what I just said? Verse 68, Peter says, to whom would we go? So Peter's response is this. Look, I don't get what you're talking about, if I'm honest. But if you said it, I'm all in. Because I gave my life to you. There is no plan B. Maybe things are a little bit odd, things are a little bit weird that are being said, but the reality is, is I'm all in. I've got no one else. I'm not going to relinquish my relationship with you just because of something that's inconvenient for me. I'm not going to leave my relationship with you just because things are difficult and things are challenging. I don't care what is going on around me. I am all in. And I believe that's the kind of commitment that when Jesus is talking about compromise, this is the kind of commitment he's looking for in his church today. I don't get what's going on. I don't understand all that's happening. But I don't have a plan B. I'm in. I don't care if I never have a blessing that comes in my life again. It looks like it's from God. I don't care if I never experience and feel God again. I'm in. I've made a covenant commitment that for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, I'm in. And I believe that's the commitment that God is calling for us in terms of not compromising, that we're in this post-pandemic era, we need more Jesus is Lord. Where our culture says that you and I are king, you king, you get to do what you want with your life, Being a person of the kingdom means that Jesus is the king. When Jesus is the king and the culture says, I'm the king, you're going to get separation. And that's where the church as a remnant starts to gloriously shine in our season, in our time, being the difference that we want to see in our world. Christ is sufficient. Life is found in the sufficiency 
of Christ. You know, let me finish with this. People can take many things away from us just through life, through the fall. The enemy can steal and kill and destroy. But one thing that we control that can never, ever, ever be taken away from us, but it's something that we offer up is our integrity. Your integrity and my integrity to not compromise is one thing that we can have that we do not have to give up. Will be taken from us, even through false accusation or whatever the world wants to throw at us. The one thing you can have in your heart of hearts is this, is that I wanna be a person of good character, of Christ-likeness, of integrity, of non-compromise. So let me ask you, what are some of those areas as we step into this new season, those areas of compromise, the Holy Spirit may be placing his finger on. And um, as we see in the, the rest of that passage, for those who are faithful, to those who don't compromise, to those who stay in there and hang in there, is that you're given some glorious things. You're given that hidden manner, which is the sustenance and the life of Jesus, who is the bread of life. A white stone, which is the mark of one who has the victory, like a, a medal, a gold medal at the Olympics. You have, um, you have uh, that white stone where you'll be given a new name. We don't know what that new name will be. I'm excited to know what my new name will be. But it's all a picture of those who are faithful, those who do not compromise, that their reward and our reward is an eternal reward with Christ forever and ever. It's really easy in our day and age to kind of get our eyes fixed on our circumstances and what's around us. I want to encourage you, get off the news, get off the social media, get on your knees before the Lord and trust the Lord. Trust the Lord in this time for your finances. We've got a family, we've got four kids. We, you, know, we, we, you have to work out what, what do you let go of in order to prioritize the kingdom. We're going to get back to some stories, you know, where people just turn up with, with groceries at your door because you prayed that week that God would do something. Are you excited about those days? We're going to be the church and look after each other. When, we, when we're living in a world where we've got everything, we don't rely on the power of God and the miraculous provision of God. So let's... Go into this new era with excitement, with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And to stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.